welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. How's everybody doing? Good? Well, my name is Stephanie and I am on staff here. And it's exciting for me to get to look out and to see many new faces. And so I just want to kind of let you know, here's what's about to happen. We've already done announcements. We took some time to sing. And the reason we sing together is a corporate celebration of who God is. And it reminds us of the gospel. And what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 3, which in those blue Bibles is on page 634 if you want to go ahead and turn there. And so we are studying this letter to the church in Ephesus that Paul wrote. And so we've already had a couple of weeks. If you have not been here, this is your first time, or maybe you've missed a week, I just want you to know we have the recordings from all of our craves from this semester online on our website, so you can go and get caught up that way. I just want to make sure that you know that. This is your first time. We are so glad that you are here, and I hope, as she said, that you'll fill out one of those Connect cards so that we can have a chance just to follow up with you. Um, and to hopefully, if you have any questions, to answer those or help you get connected here in this place. So as I said, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3. And one of the things that I have so appreciated of our study of Ephesians has been the amazing intentionality that Paul has had to help the church in Ephesus to understand some really deep theological things. If you remember, we talked about how the first three chapters of this letter are really deep. And really, it's helping point out this is how we live and basically what it means, like how we have been saved. And the last three will be a little bit more of application. And so we'll be starting with that next week. But tonight, as I was studying and preparing this week, I was really thankful for seeing the intentionality that Paul had. It was very obvious to me that he was thinking, I want the people in Ephesus at this church to understand what's going on around them. He's like, you may see that God's moving, but do you actually understand what's happening in front of you? And it made me think of uh, just kind of my year. I've been able to hang out a lot with some of the UNT athletes. And one of the teams I hang out with is the basketball team. I hang out with them every Monday. We do leadership training together. I'm actually going to be traveling with them in a couple of weeks to do some of their away games. And so just really looking forward to that. But basketball is my past. I know basketball. I know what happens. I know what they're trying to do. I go to the game. I understand it. But the other team I've been hanging out with is the swim team. That's been a very different story. So literally, I go, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching, and I'm literally thinking, how do you not drown? How do you do this? And as I've been trying to figure this out, I spent a lot of time with Ashley and Sydney, yet Sydney seems to get the brunt of my questions. And literally, I asked her, she knows, that when I said, okay, Sid, can I ask you a question? She kind of makes this face and chuckles because she knows I'm about to ask something that she thinks is completely ridiculous. But she has had a lot of grace to answer those. And so my questions have consisted of, okay, when you're doing the breaststroke, really, how do you not drown when you do that? I don't understand. How does that even work? Two, how do you not run into the wall when you go to do your foot thing? And they literally just laugh at me. I asked you that, have I not? Yes. So, she starts to explain, well, okay, first off, there's those flags right there. You see the flags? I hadn't even noticed the flags. And I've been to a lot of meetings. It took me a while before I noticed the flags. 
then they said, well, we've done this a long time. You kind of get used to it. You count. You know what you're doing. And she said, and to be honest, we've all run into the wall. Uh, but as we've been talking, she's starting to explain the different strokes. She's explaining what they're trying to do. And I'm realizing that they have different suits that help them do different things. There's different things that they do to prepare. And then she talks to me and she's explained that there's these different times that they're trying to get. I still don't get that. I'm trying, but that's a lot. And so just trying to understand. And just as it has taken Cindy to come in and Ashley to be gracious and to say, listen, I want to help you understand what it is that you're seeing and what's happening around you. That's what I've so appreciated about Paul. He's stepping in and he's literally approaching this church and he's saying, listen, I want you to not just see what's going on, but I want you to understand it. I want you to know. He keeps talking about this mystery of Christ. And he's really just continuing to go into that. He said, I want you to know and understand who God is, what Jesus is. He talks about the sovereignty of God, just how big God is. He talks about us being adopted in to be children of God. He's talked about, in chapter 2, Jay taught on one of my favorite passages ever. And literally it says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. This is who you were. And then it says, but God, I love that phrase. But God came in and through Jesus made a way for man to be restored to him. And so he starts and he talks about that and he says, okay, but not only has this vertical relationship between man and God, has there been a way for restoration to happen there through Jesus coming? But he's saying because of that, we now, and this is what Chase taught on last week, this vertical relationship provides an opportunity for a horizontal relationship to be restored. And so we heard about how the Jews and the Gentiles were able to then exist together collectively as one body of believers. And what we're going to see is anytime something is repeated in Scripture, what does that mean? It's important. Literally, he's saying, hey, did you get that? Did you get that? Did you get that? And so what we're going to see here is some of those things. Paul's going to be repeating it. So what I want you to do, we're going to look at chapter 3. And it's 21 verses. And so I'm going to do something a little different than I typically do. Usually we read through the whole thing and then we kind of walk through it. But with this many verses, that's going to, that's just going to be difficult. So I want to kind of break it up into three or four sections. Okay? So we're going to read a section then we're going to explain it. Read a section and explain it. So that's what's going to happen. I will do my best to tell you what verse we're going to be looking at. Um, but it might be helpful if you just kind of keep your finger wherever I stop and then we'll just dive right back in. Does that make sense? Alright, so we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 3. Like I said, that's on page 634. If you have never opened a Bible before, let me explain how this works. There's a big number. That's the chapter number. So you look for the big three. And then there'll be small numbers. Those are verse numbers. So when I say we're going to look at verse 7, that's what you're looking for is the small number 7. Just to make sure that we're all on the same page. So let's read this section starting in verse 1. It says, for this reason. Okay, we're going to stop there. Whenever it says in the Bible, therefore, what do we do? We want to find out what it's there for. Well, here's he saying, for this reason. So already he's just saying, okay, remember what I just said. For this reason. And what you're going to see is Paul says, for this reason. And it's almost like he stops and he thinks, wait a second, do they get it? I don't know if they get it. And so he actually jumps and he goes back and he's covering a lot of what he's already covered in the first couple of chapters of this book. And then what we'll see back down in verse 14, he picks up again with that sentence. It's like, okay, he's like, okay, we covered it again. Now I feel better. Now we'll go in. So this is what we're seeing happen. So for this reason, verse 1, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles... 
Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So right away, Paul is saying, okay, I want to cover this with you. Let's, re- let's recap. Here's what we're talking about. He says, first off, we're a prisoner for Christ for you, on behalf of you. He's pointing them back to saying, listen, God has commissioned me. He has called me to preach the gospel for you and on behalf of Christ. Then he moves into this idea, this mystery of Christ. This has been a repeated theme. I think in almost every teaching that we've had, this mystery has come up. And one of the things I saw in the commentary that I thought was really helpful was to look at it. It's, instead of just saying mystery of Christ, but to look at it from this perspective, the mystery that is Christ. And what that is getting to, the mystery is now being revealed through Christ. Christ has come to unify, to restore the relationship between God and man that was broken when sin came into the world. So sin is anything that I'm pursuing other than what God would have for me. We saw this happen in Genesis between Adam and Eve when sin first entered the world. And right from there, we're going to talk about this in in a minute, but something had to be brought back in so that relationship between man and God could exist. And so what we see is Christ came to restore that relationship. But like I said, it wasn't just the horizontal relationship that was being restored between God and man through Jesus. What we're seeing here and what he's talking about is that Christ also came to unify Jew and Gentile into one body through the gospel. And Chase taught extensively on this last week. And so if you, like I said, if you weren't here, I just really recommend to go back and to listen to that with what he's saying. Then he moves on into, um, it's in, let's see, verses 5 and 6 where he's talking about what's happening in the Old Testament. And it says, while Moses and the Old Testament prophets had written of Christ and his salvation... The full realization of who Christ was and the extent of his salvation that would come to the Gentiles was not clear until after the Holy Spirit came. So what he's saying is, yes, throughout Scripture, if you don't know this, the entire Bible is pointing to Jesus Christ and what he's doing. The whole Bible. And it's saying in the Old Testament, they were prophesying, they were foretelling of what was to come and what Jesus was going to do. He said, but now that Jesus has come and then as Jesus departed, the Holy Spirit came down, the third part of the Trinity And through that, he's saying, the Holy Spirit and through Christ, we're starting to see more of what God is doing, more of what he's he's coming, how the gospel is being fulfilled that way. And like I said, what he's pointing out is to be restored between man and God and to be restored collectively, this united body of believers. As Chase said, the Jews and the Gentiles, they did not mix. Anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile. So he's saying, you come together, you're in one church one body fully restored because of the gospel. Now let's look at verse 7. He says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose 
that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. In verse 7, we see that Paul writes that he's a minister. Another word that you could use there is he is a servant of the gospel. And it says, according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. What we're seeing here is Paul is saying, I get to be a servant of grace, a minister of grace. And it's because of his gratitude for the grace that he has received. He is literally saying, I get to serve serve you. And because of that, he's saying the sole reason I'm doing it is out of my gratitude for the gospel. That's all. That's what he's saying is out of my gratitude for what God has done for me. I now get to go and to share that with you. So what we see here also is... This recognition of who God is and the impact that he's having in Paul's life. What I want you to think about is, what does this mean for us? Anyone who sees Christ in his glory realizes his own sinfulness and need of Jesus. When we have a true encounter with God, just like Paul did, if you read in Acts, on the road to Damascus, his entire life has changed. Think about what we know about Paul. He says he was the least of these Right here, I can only imagine what it was like for Paul to walk into a place, especially a place that he would have persecuted Christians. Paul was a Jew of the Jews. What he did literally was he believed that the people who followed Jesus deserved to die. He was like, this is not of the Lord. And so he persecuted Christians. He killed Christians. And so he say, if God can save me, the least of these, and look at what he's doing now. He's pointing them back to truth right in there. And so what I want us to think about is what does that look like for us? Have our lives been transformed by the encounter with God like that? And then he starts to talk about this manifold wisdom of God in verse 10. Manifold literally means many and various. And so when I think about this, what I think about is a diamond. So when you pick up a diamond and you're looking at it, you see all the different cuts and the different angles. And as the light hits it, you know how it reflects light and it shines and goes all over? So what he's saying is God is revealing through Christ. When he came, he is revealing different parts of himself. This manifold wisdom. This is different facets, different aspects of God that we're getting to experience and getting to learn. And then he starts to talk about, in verses 11 through 14, this was all according to the eternal purpose of God. So here's what I wrote, and I just want to read it because I want to make sure I say this right. Before the world was made, God knew that Satan would fall and man would sin. And he had already prepared a counter strategy, a master plan. This plan had been worked out in the incarnation, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glorification of Christ. The whole program, this whole plan centered in Christ and has been realized through him. Now God can save sinful Jews and Gentiles, make them members of his family, and conform them to the image of Christ. Because of this, we have the unspeakable privilege of entering into God's presence at any time in full confidence of being heard without fear. And so I don't know if you saw that, but in verse 12 it says, With boldness we have access with confidence through our faith. Because of what Jesus has done, we can go and approach the throne of God. With boldness and confidence. Because we're children of God. 
And so what do we learn from this first half of Scripture? I just want to point out a couple different things that I think are helpful uh, as you process through. First off, we see a theology of grace for ministry. And what this means is that the gift of grace brings responsibility. The gospel is a gospel of action. Grace engages us, it calls us, pushes us, develops us, and gives us a ministry. Literally, like I said, Paul was serving the Gentiles out of gratitude for what God has done. When the gospel has come and it has entered your heart, you have no other option but to act on that. We don't get to just hold Jesus in a box and just say, okay, this is my faith. This is just for me. But literally, when we recognize our need for a Savior and we see that he came so that I can become a child of God, there has to be a response. There has to be an action. And that's what Paul is saying. What are we doing? How are we acting out our faith? Then next we have theology of hardship. A lot of times people think, well, and this is a popular thing that's being preached. That Christians, if you're doing the right things, believing the right things, then you'll be blessed with these things. And Paul is saying, here's this theology of hardship. Literally, he views his hardship. He's saying, all right, I'm going to be in prison, but don't. Don't worry about that. This is for your good. This is for the good of the gospel. And he, what we have to think about is he's viewing his hardship in a positive way. He's actually rejoicing over his sufferings for the sake of Christ. While our hardship probably won't look like Paul's did, how in the midst of those things can we still recognize that God is up to something? And use that as an opportunity for us to further share the gospel with other people. When they look at how we're struggling and dealing with hardship, do they see that our faith and our hope lies in Christ? Does that song, all I have is Christ, ring true in the midst of those moments when we are just hurting and things are hard? Another thing is we have the theology of grace for ministry calling us to action. We have the theology of hardship. And this would be the theology of unity. Recognizing that even though in this room as Chase taught last week, we have different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different thoughts, different career paths, all these different things, different gifts, different talents. And you put us into the room where all these different backgrounds are coming together and that's like just like a pot full of conflict, right? You would think. Because when you get a bunch of people rubbing elbows together, there's friction there. But what we see is when we have the gospel in common, we have the most important thing in common. And so unity can actually exist. And so when the outside world is looking in at us Christians, are they seeing us loving each other well? Are they seeing us living out this theology of unity, saying we might be different, we might have different personalities, but are they still seeing us loving one another, spurring one another on towards the gospel, celebrating what Christ is doing together? And the last thing I want to point out for us to think about this in this passage is to recognize the gospel treasure. He's saying, do you get this? Do you believe that the gospel is good? If we do not value the gospel as revelation from God for us, it will not impact our lives. And so I think it's important for us to think, do we value the gospel? How is it impacting our lives? And so the value we place on something determines the hardship we are willing to endure for it. We will extend enormous energy and resources to care for something we value greatly. Do we value the gospel enough to endure hardship 
for it. One of the most common conversations that I have with students, and really with Christians just in general, is my family, my friends, my class. Here's what's happening. They, they're asking me these hard questions about my faith. But Stephanie, if I have this conversation with them, it's not going to go well. But Stephanie, if I do this, this isn't going to work out So what do we do? And so start to have a process of how can we still take the gospel into a hard situation like that? Because I think that's something that's very applicable here. Are we willing to stand up and to say, listen, this is who God is. This is how it's changed my life. But to remember to do that through love. And so, just wanted to, to put that out there. How do we value the gospel? Is it something that our people in our lives know about us? Do your friends know that, yes, you're a Christian and this is what you're saying your life is based on? Do they know that about you? Okay, let's look at this last section, starting in verse 14. He says, for this reason, so he's going back to what he started in verse 1. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So because of everything I just said, he's saying, out of gratitude for what God has done, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, which is the width, and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So he says that when Paul is considering the majesty of God's worldwide work of redemption that we just talked about, he responds in the only appropriate way. He responds, he says, I bow my knees to humble adoration of God. He says, when I think about who God is, the sovereignty, who he is, all that he's done, all I have is humble adoration for that. And then he talks about God who is... Uh, for every family in heaven and earth that is named. So he's talking about the sovereignty of God over all creation. And then he moves in talking about the Holy Spirit in Christ. Because, you see, the Holy Spirit applies to believers the personal presence and power of God. And so Paul is asking that the Holy Spirit would grant them spiritual strength. He's saying, Spirit, come. Fill them up. Help them in midst of this. To have more understanding. To know that this is true. And then he talks about Christ dwelling in Christians. And he says that we would be rooted and grounded in love. To be established in love as a way of life. Love is a natural and necessary outcome of a living faith that the fruit of Christ's work, that is the fruit of Christ's work in a Christian. So when someone is thinking of you, what do they say about how you love them? Are you rooted and grounded in love? Do they feel that you care about them? Do they feel that you want what's best for them? One of our BSM attitudes here, leaders, you know this. These are things that we say, disciple what Jesus is about. One of them is attorney matters most. Do we position ourselves, work on our schedules, basically saying, you are worth my time because your attorney matters most? Would they say that our lives are rooted and grounded 
and love. And then he asks that God would help them to comprehend all that he's doing and to have a better understanding of God. And then he starts to define basically the immeasurable dimensions of God. He says that they would know the width. So he's referring to the wideness of God's grace in saving Jews and Gentiles and then incorporating them into the church. The gospel mystery that he's talking about embraces both all segments of humanity. And then he talks about the link. And the link extends from eternity to eternity as the past. Believers were chosen in Christ, which we saw in the first part of Ephesians 1, were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And as to the future, eternity will be the perpetual unfolding of the exceeding riches of His grace towards us through Jesus. And then we see the height that He's mentioning. And what He's saying is we have not only been raised up with Christ because of Him coming and dying and being risen again, but also we were enthroned in him to share in his glory. And then the depth that he's saying. We were sunk in a pit of unspeakable, of unspeakable sin. Which we saw in chapter 2. And yet Christ came. And he entered into that pit. Saying where there is sin there is a consequence. And he was willing to step in. And to take that for us. And so that's what we're seeing. The different facets. Remember the diamond. These different facets of God, as you turn it around, you're being able to see these different aspects of who He is. And then He prays, verse 19, to know what surpasses knowledge is the privilege of, Christian, of the Christian. You see, it's not just about the Bible and knowing it. One of the things that I think we're seeing more and more today is what I would call, what is often called functional atheism. Where literally you say, I'm a Christian. You say, this is who I am. But when you actually look at how you act, the way you think, the way you treat people, even if there's conviction of sin, and those things are not there. And so the question is definitely, is there actual, has there been an actual transformation by God? And so what Paul is getting at here is, have you been permeated with because Jesus' presence gives us strength to the core of our being. He takes up residence and he redefines us. And so friends, if Christ's indwelling does not transform, we must question strenuously whether Christ's presence is present. So if there has not been a transformation, if there is not a desire to learn more about who God is and what he's doing, we need to check ourselves and to say, what's going on here? And what I want to do is I'm going to give you four questions, and your Connect Group leaders have this question, for you to talk about when you're doing the application section. But I think that these are helpful in us to think through and process through what we just looked at in this section. Question number one is do you understand your own sinfulness and need of the gospel? Do you understand why you need Jesus? Question number two is your life marked by service, fueled by gratitude? Is your life marked by service? Are you serving others because are you sharing the gospel? Are you being a messenger of the gospel because of your gratitude for who Jesus is and what he has done? Do you respond to God with humble adoration when you think on the gospel? And lastly, do we value the gospel enough to endure hardship for it? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. And you'll be dismissed to your connect groups. But if you have questions... And what it is that we have been talking about today, or even over the last couple of weeks. Some of our staff members will be over here at the plug, and we would love to just talk with you. If not, on your name tag, 
is a group number, and so you'll be able to go with your group leader to go and finish talking through this passage. So let me pray, and then you'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for the mystery that we've been talking about. We thank you for Jesus, that you had a master plan, that you are not surprised by anything, that you knew what was to come when you created us. And you created a way to restore us to you. And Lord, I pray that just as Paul said with humble adoration, when I think upon you, I cannot help but fall on my knees. When I think upon you and how you have transformed me, I cannot help but go in to tell other people. And Lord, when we think upon you, when we think about how you have transformed us, Lord, I pray that that would spur within us to be a people that are rooted and grounded in love. Lord, I pray that our conversations today would just continue to stir our affections for you and continue to reveal more of you, that that would not just be a head knowledge, but it would permeate our hearts in such a way that there's transformation. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word and for the truth and how you reveal yourself to us through it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, you're dismissed.